And there is a way for parents to be motivated and committed to healing themselves, even though it's work, is to really imagine being on the other side of it for yourself. What will you feel like a year from now if you've healed this thing? Welcome to another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you so much, parents, for being here with me on this show today, talking about resiliency with an incredible guest. The show could not be as successful as it is without you guys showing up, listening, liking, subscribing. And for me, most more important than those likes and subscribes, those shares, you making sure that somebody else who needs to hear the show is getting their hands on it. Thank you so much. This conversation we're having today about resiliency and mastering resilience, this is a conversation we have a lot. And I have to say, and I'm, and if you're listening to the show, I know you have a question about it. So forgive me if I say, gosh, we got to change this conversation about resiliency. We have to stop thinking that these child generations before us are somehow softer, are somehow less resilient, but we're going to talk about why. And we're not just going to talk about the attitudes or the willingness of resiliency. Everybody's willing to want to change or deal with something, but capability is what we're really going to talk about. And to talk about that with us is Dr. Lori Lee Bell Humor. She has written a book, Mastering Resilience, Transforming Into Your Purpose. And we're going to talk about what this resiliency thing is, how it helps us get out of depression, anxiety. But we're also dealing with a doctor here who understands emotions in the brain. So we're going to get the real deal from Lori. Lori, thank you so much for being on Beyond Risk and Back and welcome. Thank you so much. It's an honor and privilege to be here with you, Aaron. Why on earth did you write a book about resiliency? What is going on? What did you discover about it? Is this an issue you had? Give us the 411 on the why. The bottom line is I wrote the book because we needed tools and literally a recipe for how to go on that journey of mastering resilience. And yes, my childhood was wrought with adversity. I use the framework of adverse childhood experiences. We didn't call them ACEs back then. And I had eight out of 10. So they're in the categories of abuse, neglect, and family dysfunction. So I didn't know I had eight until, uh, you know, in the last decade or even just the last few years because I didn't know about the ACE study. So what I did know is that, again, there was all kinds of abuse in the household, every type of abuse in the household, emotional neglect, a parent who was an alcoholic, a parent with mental illness, divorce was considered one of the adverse childhood experiences. Those were the kinds of things that I faced during childhood and later on realized when I started really researching resilience, it was I was drawn to it because it defines me and people uh, in a way, let me just reframe that. I've known as, you know, among my colleagues as Dr. Resilience. Uh, they say I'm the epitome of resilience given, you know, the level of outward success that I've been able to achieve. And so I wrote the book initially to my peers and I said, you know, if we're going to help children. I'm a child psychologist, also a best-selling award-winning author of the Mastering Resilience. And I just want to add that it has remained in, it was uh, released in October 
and it has remained in the top 10 for teens and young adults with suicidal ideation. It was originally written to my peers, those of us who are in youth serving roles. That includes parents, teachers, counselors, school administrators, CASA workers, court-appointed special advocate workers. And so what it was is I said, okay, based on my 30 years of experience in the field as a psychologist, as a mentor, as a teacher, college instructor, uh, educational consultant, all of those that those years, I heard the stories of other people, parents, as well as the, the youth over the years. And I said, what's the difference between someone who is resilient, if you will, like successful, able to adapt to the adversity that they've experienced, and those that maybe weren't as resilient as it's defined that way, the ability to adapt to adversity. So what I did is I reverse engineered a recipe for mastering resilience. I took all of that experience of what people talked to my own experience, my own healing journey. There's stories of my healing journey in the book as well. I created a recipe for mastering resilience. And so that's the book. The book is has a little chapter on ACEs and eight ingredients for mastering resilience. And again, written for the leaders and influencers of youth. And also it's getting into the hands of youth. It's getting in the hands of attorneys and business people. And you know that's why I also created Super Resilient leadership and super resilient leaders. Couple questions and congratulations on the success of the book. It's such an important topic and I get asked about it on the daily from not only my clients, but just people I talk to about mental health and adolescence. First of all, the ACE quiz. If people don't know about it, it's a simple 10 question quiz about childhood, adverse childhood experiences. You score yourself with how many of the adverse child experiences that you've had. 100% score is not a good thing. So you're 80% like it's, but here's the thing about the ACE quiz. You can also take it for other people. Like you can look at your own children. You can take it. You can answer the questions for them to get an idea of what they're actually going through in your brain. So parents listening, if you don't know what the ACE quiz, Google it because it's free and it's everywhere and it is eye opening. But back to resiliency. You t you talked about, you know, adapting to adversity, success, getting over crap. Like, like, what is the definition for the layman about resiliency? Is it being able to handle stuff when, when you're overwhelmed? Is it literally adaptability to adversity? Is it dealing with conflict? What is resiliency? Well, resiliency, it's interesting because I have a post that's going out today that says all of the definitions of uh, resiliency from different people. So Michelle Obama and others have defined resilience. And sometimes a long time, for a long time, we said the ability to bounce back. There is a book called What Happened to You by Dr. Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey that was published, I think, about last year. And it talks about ACEs and it talks about, you mentioned just ever so slightly, uh, the brain. And so ACEs, the reason that we have reactions to adversity is because it really, especially in childhood, it impacts the developing brain and it impacts it in different ways in different developmental stages. So there's a whole, that's a whole other, you know, conversation, but the good news about that is that the brain has neuroplasticity. And so it can be 
rewired. It can be healed, you know, through certain uh, steps to do that. In that book, Dr. Bruce Perry talks about a, a coat hanger. And so it's not really the ability to bounce back. It's like it, as if you have a coat hanger and then you, you know, put it back, there's still evidence. You're still like, you're not denying that things happened in the first place. I like to define it metaphorically. So that's one way. And then the other way, which is if you see on the front of my book, that's a kintsugi bowl. And the kintsugi bowl is a bowl that has been broken and put back together with precious metals like gold. It's a symbol for how when there's brokenness or we feel like some some of us in the, in the past, I said, I'm broken. I no longer believe I'm broken, but there's this bowl that the gold makes it more valuable. It makes it more strong, it's, you know, more strong, more valuable. And so it's who we become in the face of adversity. I guess that's how I would define resilience. When we're talking about brain chemistry, you know, not just attitude, you know, and that's, that's something that I think one of the mistakes, and I'm very curious is after this question about asking what are some of the mistakes that people make when, when talking about resiliency and bouncing back and, and overcoming adversity and, and being successful anyway, I think we can pass off uh, resiliency as an attitude. But what I want to know from you, you know the letters in front of your name or after your name with your with your degrees on your wall, what's going on in our brain chemistry when resiliency is suffering? What's actually going on in our head? It's not a bad attitude. Is it brain chemical changes? Is it is it actually a mental health issue? It's actually brain wiring. You know the neurons and the firing of the brain. And so what happens? is when adversity comes, it wires our brain. And this is just a simple uh, definition, but it wires our brain to believe certain things, to say certain things to ourselves about ourselves. It, um, it impacts our ability to focus. It's, it's that, you know, when we're faced, when we are faced, when children are faced uh, with um, adversity, it's that their brain often goes into the, the state of fight, flight, or freeze all the time. And so the hormones are, you know, the adrenaline is on alert. It creates a state that feels like anxiety all of the time. And if, when you look at the research, the data behind, you know, what are the risks when children are exposed to ACEs? There's, there is a higher risk for mental health issues. There's you know, an exponential risk for suicidal, for suicide attempts and suicidal ideation and completed suicide and, you know, drug misuse and alcohol misuse and educational, they're three times more likely, you know, to have ed educational problems. And, you know, some of them, again, so if you look at the ACEs, and this is, you know, I'm speaking about risk, but it's also what I just defined about what's going on in the brain. So if you have one ACE, there's a certain amount of risk for educational problems or health problems, and then ultimately economic problems and social problems, all of those, the, the, that is the impact of untreated ACEs. And then it goes in stepwise fashion. As you go up one, two, three, four, five, the risk shoots up exponentially for 
health problems, economic problems, social problems, mental health issues, emotional problems. And so in looking at that, it's like we've, we've got to get in early. You know, we either we have two tasks. We need to prevent them from happening in the first place. And we have to we, are, we have an obligation. And so I don't use have to a lot. I usually say we get to. But in this case, it really is we have to. We have to do something to mitigate the impact of ACEs that occurred. We as parents, we have an obligation to heal ourselves if we had ACEs because we can only help the next generation to the extent that we've dealt with our own issues, whatever they are. What are the big mistakes that parents make when they're noticing resiliency issues in their kid? They just can't handle things. They I don't know. And, and I'm making I'm making stuff up here. They cry easily. They don't want to go to school because someone looked at them funny. You know, the 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 online bullying, which may not seem like a lot to an adult, although if you actually spend any time on social media, you watch how adults bully each other. It's ridiculous. But but we've got resiliency. We have life experience that may or may not help us survive that bullying. What are, what are some of the big mistakes we make as parents when we go, my kid is too fragile? Thinking there's something wrong with my child. What's wrong with you? And whether those words come out of our mouths, it's like that's the perspective that we have. I wouldn't say it's a mistake because it's a learning opportunity. I mean, I'm excluding, you know, obviously excluding abuse and neck contributing to ACEs uh, in children. I'm excluding those, but really looking at the perspective of what happened to you? How can I help? And I take it a step further and say, what's strong in you? Not what's wrong with you, what's strong in you? And really focusing on what happened. And we may not know what happened if it's cyberbullying and you know, uh, ex you know, things outside the home. There's a lot of things that I found out after the fact that my young adult children experienced. And so we may not know. Frame of reference, you know, what happened to you, you can assume they've been cyberbullied. You can assume that they're comparing themselves to things that look perfect online. There's certain things that we can assume just, you know, because we've heard that. And then finding the strengths. I've had parents come into my office and say, I don't like my child. I can't stand him. You know, sometimes I hate him. The solution to that is really finding what they're doing right. Reframing, daydreaming into, wow, you're really creative. You have a creative mind. You know, it's like that reframing of the behavior in a positive way. At brabapp.com, parents, I have posted a parenting masterclass. Before you fast forward through this commercial, Give me a chance, because I'm going to keep it short. I'm going to keep it blunt. This is a Telly award-winning parenting masterclass. The content is everything I have ever taught a parent in the past 20 years of working with parents in crisis. There are three components to the course. 56 classes in three components. The red, the beyond risk, the crisis children. Yellow, the at-risk children. And green. When things are going well, how do we get them to go great or keep them going well? It's everything. 
I've ever taught a parent in 20 years of working with families. But here's the deal. It's $99. I want every parent to be able to have access to this course. So please go to brabapp.com, B-R-A-B for Beyond Risk and Back. Brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com. Check it out for yourself. You talked about neuroplasticity earlier, and essentially I understand neuroplasticity is the ability to change. And we've kind of had a belief, well, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Turns out modern research has proven that one completely wrong. However, resiliency and trauma, you know, when we, we, we keep bringing up the, the ACEs concept, the higher your ACEs score, essentially the more traumatized you are, which means more triggered, more fragile. And our body is reacting in this way because it's trying to protect us from more harm. And resiliency is essentially saying, I'm not afraid of getting hurt again. Like, I, I'm, I'm, I can be better than that. I can be stronger than that. And so it seems like kind of a big jump. Let's, let's say we find out our child's being bullied. They haven't told us. We're an attentive parent. We've done a good job. But it happened. And it happened at school. It happened on someone else's watch. And they come home and it was horrific. And they don't ever want to go back to school again. How do you even start to approach with a child or a teenager, and even within ourselves, the idea that even though it might mean getting hurt again, going back to school is a good idea. You have to become resilient. How do you even approach that concept? First of all, I want to just make the, uh, make the point that if there's severe trauma, there are specific mental health treatment available that we can have access to. So I just want to make that clear. So Mastering Resilience, my course, my book is not a substitute for that. But I'll answer your question and say, really, when children, when adults are rooted in their value and they know what their strengths are and they know what their characteristics are and they know what their beliefs are, the more grounded and rooted we are in knowing who we are, then if someone says something that's not consistent with that, we can say that's not true. And so that builds builds the walls around it. Where, you know, I think that, you know, in terms of the barriers, the, the feelings of not wanting to get hurt, the fight, flight, or freeze response, that's basically a healthy response to an unhealthy situation. It's not gonna go away right away. And unless you replace that need to feel like we need to defend ourselves or have a wall around us, behind that wall is like really focusing on who I am so that I'm not as impacted by you know, things in the world, but it's, it's going through steps. It's a healing journey, you know? So I didn't just one, one you know, one day decide I'm going to break down the wall. It's definitely a process of what we can go through to get to the other side. And there are, if, speaking of the brain, there are mindfulness, you know, activities. The other thing is like helping, you know, I'm just thinking of my ingredients now in terms of like going on that journey. And so children and adults really must know what their inspiration is 
for going forward. You know, some people call that a why. I call that the big why. It's the inspiration. And even if it's an inspiration to go one day at a time that I'm inspired because I, you know, want my sobriety could be a big why. And then there's a why now. And that's the commitment, the commitment to healing and that commitment changes and it, it's different obviously for children than it is for adults. And so for example, my big why when I got married was I don't want to get divorced. Uh, that's my inspiration. My mom was, you know, had five husbands. And so I didn't want that. And I knew that the way that I was behaving at that time, because all of a sudden I have this person around me all the time, uh, was I need to do something different because I don't want to ruin my marriage. And then when I had babies, it was, oh my gosh, I don't want to be the parent that my parents were. And so it was a commitment. Like right now I have an obligation to heal. And then when there, I have something funny to say, funny, not funny, but you know, when they were teenagers and they were at the age of when some of my trauma occurred, I went into fight, flight, or freeze. And I made a commitment. I don't want these 17 year old and, you know, they were 13, 14, 15 at the time, you know, to be 57 before they finally get it, that they're loved, that they have intrinsic value, that they're worthy and wanted. And so that was my uh, commitment. And so later, and I mentioned this in the book, or maybe it was even when she was a teenager, one of them said, mom, I wish you'd healed before you had children. And my answer was, I thought I had, because even before I had children, I'd had therapy. I didn't know about, you know, meditation and mindfulness practices and, you know, other things that could help the healing process. But I really believed that I'd healed uh, before I had children and then realized afterwards, put a stake in the ground, make that commitment different, you know, over time. And now my commitment is, we have to help the next generation. We have a moral obligation, a moral imperative to help them become more resilient and to become super resilient because they have superpowers and you know that's what we call their strengths sometimes. So how do you start this with a child? You've discovered that your child's resiliency has been chopped into like a tree. They don't want to go back to soccer practice because it's hard. Something they love, they're walking away from. Something they're good at, they're turning their back on because it's causing them pain. Yeah, and maybe you don't send them back to that thing, but what do you do? What's at the starting gate for a child who you look at and say, they got some resiliency issues? Well, I think that the moment you recognize that they're hurt, that means you know their, their heart is hurt. If they don't wanna go back to school, it's based more often than not about something they're telling themselves about themselves. So here's what I know, I wanna get these stats right. 85% of the thoughts that we have are negative and 90% are repetitive. So when we know that, it means that we are constantly thinking negative things over and over and over and over again. If you find your child in that state of fear, then first of all, help mend their broken heart by acknowledging them, acknowledging, I bet that hurts, acknowledging the, the feelings that they're experiencing and what they're saying. I think that in addition to that, the knowing that they're thinking thoughts over and over, negative thoughts over and over, it's to really tell them things 
opposite. You know, tell them things, positive things about themselves. And if they if they're willing, like repeat it back because they really, you know, the way to rewire the brain is to rewire the things that we're telling ourselves about ourselves, really in simple terms. And it's like rewiring what we're saying. And sometimes as adults, you know, that takes a little bit of time. It's a simple process, but it's not necessarily easy because they're really ingrained. One of the tactics we used to use in our treatment center is we'd have the teenagers use an entire pad of sticky notes, writing one positive thing per piece of paper and then cover their mirror, except for the face place where they can see their face. Here's what we knew. They saw it. They didn't stop and read it every day. They didn't take five minutes and read each one out loud with their hand on their heart. They saw it every single day. It took 30 to 90 days for these things to start to land. Like, like we're talking about the difference between a state change and a trait change, right? Resiliency is a trait. And when our resiliency is damaged because of trauma, we're not dealing about something that's, you know, make them laugh and go walk dogs at the Humane Society and ta-da, you're healed of your depression. Because depression's a trait, not a state. The state is the moment where we decide to sit down and make a change and grab out that sticky notepad, start writing things down. The trait changing is what happens 30, 60, 90 days later of daily intervention. And that's hard for parents to, to facilitate a daily intervention on a kid, isn't it? I love that sticky note idea. And I, I might take it a little bit further as a parent. And so if they say courageous, I'd want them to, to stand and feel courageous and think about a time when they felt courageous because they wrote that. And so what was the time that you can think of where you were really courageous and feel it? And that feeling along with the thought, along with the positive thought, along with the positive thing on the sticky, you know, that feeling and then attributing it to something that's really them that's, you know, just maybe do one at a time, you know, as a parent, just, and then, you know, uh, what does it feel like to be courageous, you know, and it's just simple things that, you know, that we can do um, to really shift that. Well, you're, you're, you're anchoring, you're like, you're not, you're not just showing them words, you're, you're making them remember an experience where they actually felt that and now they're anchored to the experience. So even if they see it subliminally on the sidelines, the anchor lands and that, that's just how the brain works. Yes. And the declaration to add the words, I am courageous in front of it is really like, I am that thing. And so in uh, my super resilient youth program that, you know, all the proceeds go to, you know, a youth mental health serving organization. Most of the videos are surrounded about getting to them uh, to the point where they can say the I am statements and that that's the takeaway is the I am. So when children have a dependable, caring adult who believes in them, that's a predictor of success and they feel loved and they feel wanted and sometimes they won't feel it. You can say it over and over and over and over and they won't feel it. And that's where the anchoring comes in. So they start to believe it, it has to come from their inside out. It's not gonna happen just because we tell them, you're right, those you know, subliminal messages and that experience is really anchoring that in. Lori, how do parents find your book? Where, where are we gonna pick this up? Uh, the book is on Amazon and it's again, Mastering Resilience, Transforming Into Your Purpose. 
And so it's Amazon online. And then website, where where do they go to follow up, get more resources, learn more about you, follow you? The website is masteringresilience.com. So it's the name of the book. And we're creating a website coming soon for Super Resilient. Uh, and it will have an opportunity for personal growth and development, leadership growth and development using the recipe for mastering resilience and super resilient. And then businesses, including nonprofits who really want to create a workforce that is resilient. My guest today has been Dr. Lori Laybell Humor. Mastering Resilience, Transforming Your Purpose, available on Amazon. The book is doing so well, and it's not going to do well if it's not a good book. Folks, go check it out. Her website is masteringresilience.com. Follow up on Lori. Really take to heart what she said about the ACE quiz. It's a powerful place to begin understanding. If you're avoiding conflict, if you're calling in sick to work because you're not wanting to face such and so or family members and you're, you're, you're bailing out on family events, how's that different than them bailing out on school because they're being bullied or don't want to go to soccer practice because the, the work's too hard? We cannot hate ourselves into something we love. And when 85% of our thoughts are negative and 95% of our thoughts are repetitive, we cannot hate ourselves into something we love. And when a child has the voice of hate for themselves, somebody's got to come in and be the voice of love. Mom, dad, it has to be you. You start the work and show the child how to carry the work on. So huge thanks to Dr. Lori Laybell Humor getting us this reverse engineered resilience key. Always a huge thanks to Dylan at Deepin Productions for the production of the podcast and helping me out with everything over there on TikTok and, and YouTube shorts and all these types of things that I don't understand because I'm a Gen Xer, but I do like doom scrolling them. Massive thanks to you parents. There are a lot of parents who should be listening to this show, and you are listening to this show, and that tells me everything I need to know about you as a parent. So go take care of yourselves first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, we are going to do our best work with our children. I'll see you next week on Beyond Risk and Back. <laughs>